You're listening to the Nomcast, a proud member of Forgotten Entertainment. Hello, and welcome to the Nomcast the Netflix original movie podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomCastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomCastPod.com. Okay, pack show today. Lots to get into. In a little bit, we will be joined by co-host of the brand new podcast, Black Daddies in Space. My pal Marvin Pittman is here. He is here to help me review the latest Netflix original film, Concrete Cowboy, starring Idris Elba and Caleb McLaughlin of Stranger Things. So stay tuned for that. But first, we will start off with a little segment called What You Need to Know. All right, recording this around 8 o'clock on Monday evening, uh, April 5th. This is uh, a, a big day, I guess, in Netflix land. Uh, there are a few news stories that came through. Um, but first, I just want to lead, as I've done a lot lately, I know it's a slightly, you know, I hope you guys enjoy these at least, uh, a little awards update. So a lot of the narrative we've been talking about on this podcast was it has been kind of deflating. It's been kind of like, when will the big win happen for some of these Netflix movies and, you know, especially, you know, with Nomadland being this juggernaut right now with winning a lot of awards or even some of the awards that they thought, you know, would ha- uh, Netflix films would have a good chance, especially the trial of the Chicago seven. Um, they haven't had that big win. Uh, but just last night was the SAG awards, the screen actors guild awards and after losing to Nomadland earlier uh, the, in the previous week at the Producers Guild Awards, which was kind of a, a big blow for Chicago 7, and as we reported here, I believe a week or two ago, Promised Young Woman uh, beat the trial of Chicago 7 and Aaron Sorkin at the Writers Guild Awards. Finally, some good news happened last night. The trial of the Chicago 7 took home the big prize at the SAG Awards by winning Best Ensemble. That is the the big, it's the granddaddy of the evening. The I guess you can couch this one of two ways. One, this is huge for them if they want to consider themselves still in this race, in the Best Picture conversation, and because the SAG uh, Guild, you know, the Screen Actors Guild, is such a big part of the voting body for the Oscars that you would think that this should kind of just boost, you know, raise all boats, you know, hopefully that means that maybe even after they lost at the writer's guild, that maybe that, you know, Aaron Sorkin still has a chance here to win best original screenplay, but more importantly, obviously they are keeping their eyes on the big prize I think Nomadland is still going to win this, but it definitely kind of opened the door a little bit for the trial of the Chicago 7 to maybe have a chance at pulling the upset. I thought they were a little further behind than even second place recently. I thought Minari had gained momentum and, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah or The Father, some of these other films, you know, Promising Young Woman have 
gotten a lot more recognition lately. They've gotten some wins, and it makes people feel like they've got this momentum going into the Oscars. But this is a much bigger win than a lot of the other films have had. And like I said, with a big body like SAG giving them that momentum, you know, it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they sneak in here and win. But the bad news is, I guess if you want to say, is that they weren't up against Nomadland last night. So, you know, this at least puts them, I think, more squarely in second place. They did beat, you know, a strong competitor like Minari. So, you know, this does put them back where they were originally. So that's good news for them. Finally, a big win for the trial of the Chicago 7. Also last night, big, uh, you know, just this amazing run for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom continues as they took home two SAG Awards last night. Most people thought they were going to win just the one for Chadwick Boseman, who has basically locked up Best Actor uh, at this point. He's just steamrolling. He's won every single place, all the precursors going into uh, the Oscars at this point. You know, he would just have to win BAFTA to kind of just take everything. Uh, but I think it's a shoo-in at this point. It's not even worth bringing up. But the surprise was... Viola Davis won. Uh, she won Best Actress for Ma Rainey. She is the title character in that film. And this is a big win for her because now, uh, you know, basically, you know, between the Golden Globes, the Critics' Choice, a lot of these award shows have all had different winners for Best Actress all the way through. So the fact that she won in the biggest voting body again kind of raises her up a little bit here that she might have a chance to take this from someone like Carrie Mulligan or Frances McDormand uh, or even an Andre Day who uh, didn't qualify uh, for the SAG award here. So it's pretty amazing. It's pretty, it's a great win. And, you know, this is after the film won twice at the Muaz the, for makeup and hairstyling. Um, looking good for those wins at the Oscars as well. They've won a lot of different places for that. So not a bad run here for a film that un unfortunately is not even up for best picture this year. It's it's one of those weird snubs that has happened, um, but good for them. They look good for winning multiple awards at, at the Oscars um, and, and good because you have a lot of a lot of skepticism about Mank, you know, which might not win a lot of awards. I don't think they're going to win a, you know, uh, animated feature. They're not going to win at a bunch of, uh, you know, other categories. I'd be shocked if they won Best Documentary, you know. So even though they led all studios with, uh, you know, 35, 36 nominations, depending on who you talk to, you know, I think Ma Rainey's going to win more, more, than the rest of the films here. I mean, they could, I could see a world where they win more Oscars than the trial of the Chicago seven, which is the, you know, and Mank combined, you know, I could see that. And they're the, the, the two films that are up for best picture. So, you know, it's a weird year <laughs> getting weirder by the day, getting very muddled. Um, one thing that does seem to be crystallizing, though, uh, the long shot story that seems to never die, uh, Glenn Close lost again for Best Supporting Actress at SAG last night. Um, good. 
I hope this ends. Uh, you know, Hillbilly Elegy is a very divisive film at its best. Um, we didn't really particularly like it here on our review. Um, it's just not what you want. It's a, you know, it's, it's an interesting adaptation, especially for people who have read the books. But Glenn Close, I thought she's good enough in it, but you would hate to see her kind of win just because they want to give it to her, you know, because she's been nominated so many times without a win. So this seems like she's lost any kind of momentum. Uh, SAG would have been probably the place that it would have been kind of like a big story if she took that, but she did not. So I think that closes the book on that one. But big night for them overall, huge night for them on the TV side. They keep steamrolling with the crown and the queen's gambit and, you know, and obviously how much they helped Shit's Creek become a story, even though that's not uh, a Netflix original. Uh, they, they are, they're having a big year in the awards season. We'll see if it continues all the way to the Oscars. The next big story that's come through is about Knives Out, uh, the huge Ryan Johnson film uh, starring Daniel Craig, Ana de Armas, and many, many others uh, that did was an Oscar-nominated uh, film. And Netflix has stepped in uh, with this huge number. They buy the rights to the next two Knives Out films for $450 million. And that is before you even talk production budgets and marketing budgets and everything else here. So $450 just for the rights to have this on their platform. That is a huge story in the sense of it's a big price tag. It's a franchise for them, which they've been chasing franchises because they're, you know, they're playing catch up with the big studios that have been around for a long time. You got HBO Max gaining subscribers all the time. They have all the DC movies, you know, uh, a bunch of franchises that they've had from the Warner Library for a long time uh, that they can just you can just pop on at any time. And, and it's a big deal in terms of people chasing this IP from platform to platform. And, you know, obviously Disney being the largest competitor at this point, I think for those eyeballs uh, and you know what they have, they have Marvel, they have all the Disney movies, they have all the Pixar movies, you know, the, they have the Simpsons, they have a bunch of stuff from the, the Fox library on top of their own huge library. So we know how big a competitor they are. And, you know, the Marvel stuff is really, and the Star Wars stuff, which I didn't even mention, uh, kicks in, uh, you know, has kicked in big time for them on the TV side. So it's only going to get bigger, uh, especially the more and more stuff. Uh, they got Black Widow coming through, uh, you know, going straight to streaming as well as like at theaters at the same time, you know, copying the Warner Brothers model at HBO Max. So, if they want to be in the game, uh, franchises are the way to go. And to pick one up uh, fresh out of you know Lionsgate's mouth, uh, that's a big story. Uh, so good for them. I'll, <laughs> I enjoy to see it because then I get to cover them uh, instead of being uh, on the uh, outside looking in on, on those films. Because I like the first movie quite a bit. Uh, I love a good whodunit. Uh, Daniel Craig is a very impressive character. If he still has... You know, who knows in terms of cast that comes over because these seem to be more Agatha Christie like where, you know, he'll be consistent, but the other cast will kind of rotate in and out. 
uh, and locations and everything else. So, but this is huge uh, for Netflix. This is a big deal, and I think. Like I said, it is a competition thing, but I think more and more examples of why they might be so desperate uh, has shown up recently. Like Comcast recently, uh, there was an article that came out in Bloomberg that I saw uh, that said they were weighing pulling its animated slate of films from Netflix, uh, plus all their upcoming, uh, upcoming animated slate and putting them straight to Peacock. So, you know, the Despicable Me films have been killing it on Netflix. I remember when I think it was part three landed on there recently and maybe maybe part one was also in the top ten at the same time. Whenever they all kind of landed, they made huge numbers for them in terms of the viewing audience, especially during the pandemic when a lot of the kids were home. You know, Netflix was kind of scrambling trying to get these you know, kids films, these family films to be on their platform that the whole family can enjoy. And, you know, because it's strong competition when you talk about Disney, Pixar, uh, and, you know, even uh, HBO Max is going to have Space Jam. And, you know, they just had Tom and Jerry do pretty well. And, and they, all, of course, have the years and years of Warner uh, animation. So it's a lot to live up to. And, and they're going to keep trying you know they've they have a huge animated slate netflix does this year uh we're actually going to do a preview of that when um the mitchells versus the machines comes out at the end of the month um because that is a sony movie which i'll get to that in a second um that is a movie that they acquired during the pandemic which they thought because uh it's backed by lord and miller who did Into the Spider-Verse that, you know, they're kind of the next big guys in animation that they wanted to be on board. And, and this is their way of kind of stepping in and and being uh, a bigger player in the animation circuit. They've been Oscar nominees for animated feature and shorts the past couple of years. So, you know, they might have a big move coming from Netflix coming soon. I mean... Because if HBO Max has the Warner Library, plus all their originals over the years, Disney has their library, you know, all the Marvel films, you know, all these big franchise IP. You're going to have things like this where, you know, Peacock is going to get all the Universal stuff, Comcast Universal, uh, coming back to them over time, plus all the TV that NBC has had over the years and, and all their affiliates that they have. And you're going to see it more and more. Yeah, you know, and Disney made that Fox merger. I wouldn't be shocked, and a lot of people have said this, that Netflix could take on or try to do a full studio acquisition like Sony. So the fact that they got the Mitchells versus the Machines uh, might just be the beginning. And, you know, uh, who knows what they're going to do uh, going forward. You know, Sony has had a complicated relationship lately with their uh studio you know they had those marvel deals you know the the venom films where it's kind of and selling off spider-man sort of having to come to an agreement with those and you know and and it's it's just a mess right now and i can see them just being like i'm out i'm gonna be sony i'm gonna sell electronics and and take all the money i can from netflix and and go from there. But 
maybe maybe they broker some kind of deal, some kind of exclusive deal or or something. You know, maybe they don't get the the film rights, but they get the 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 window. You know, the post window, uh, theatrical window rights. Something big is probably going to happen soon, and Sony seems like a perfect partner for them. So I could definitely see that happening soon. And I just wanted to end this segment before we get to the review. You know, it's it's the first week of April, first episode really here. Um, just wanted to kind of maybe toss a couple recommendations your way. Uh, new to Netflix for April, uh, Insidious come uh, is now on the platform. I believe maybe even multiple of the Insidious films. James Wan, uh, the director of that film, he uh, he is producing a horror film for Netflix that's coming out later on in the year. So if you want to kind of get to know his style or or see what put him on the map, Insidious uh, is a, a really good modern horror flick uh, for anyone who wants to check that out. I know I will to just kind of refresh myself of the genius of James Wan. Um, the Pianist is a very good Oscar-winning film. Uh, Adrian Brody, you know, the biggest... Uh, biggest performance of his life for sure because his career kind of went up and down a little bit after that um but yeah a beautiful film just a survival film during you know holocaust era world war ii a tough film you know and it's tough to promote a roman polanski movie given his uh murky reputation and past but you know the Pianist is an amazing film, early 2000s. Uh, this was back when I used to work at the movie theater. I used to watch this quite a bit. It's, it's such a great performance um, and definitely worth checking out. A couple more, uh, Saving Private Ryan. You know, if you haven't seen this movie, you know, again, Oscar caliber Spielberg, you know, can't go wrong. The 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 beach scene in the beginning is one of the, the best openings to a film you're ever going to see an incredibly deep cast peak Tom Hanks, you know, so you can't go wrong uh, with that one. And then a couple more, uh, you know, for my guys that forgotten cinema, they are part of the forgotten entertainment family that we have here, the network that I belong to. Um, they did an episode on this film, mystery men. Um, it is not the greatest film. I will say that, but, if you are a nerd from the late 90s uh, and and love uh, kind of a more cheeky, fun comic book movie, a movie that doesn't take themselves seriously at all, um, this could be right up your alley if you've never seen this. Uh, it's Ben Stiller and a big cast. I love Tom Waits in this movie. Uh, William H. Macy's in it. There's it's a It's a big, deep cast of these kind of like more grounded superheroes uh that get together uh they're all in one city to protect against this you know rival gangs of bad guys that are are taking over and the big superhero of the town uh gets kidnapped and he's missing and so the lesser superheroes have to step up and try to try to save him and and try to get the city back under control so it's a fun one, late 90s, real goofy. Uh, you know, <laughs> you can listen to Smash Mouth for the last time unironically. Um, you know, so it'll be fun if you check that one out. 
Um, then a couple more serious ones, uh, Milk, uh, the Harvey Milk biopic uh, that, you know, Sean Penn just knocked right out of the park. Um, Oscar performance there, too. Um, that is uh, a great one. Uh, you know, I would check that one out. I haven't seen it since it came out in the theaters, but I remember liking it quite a bit. So I'll be happy to to revisit that one. And then Brokeback Mountain um, is also on the platform now. So, you know, a lot of like these kind of, you know, more Oscar-y films just in time to, to, to happen right before the Oscars land, you know, the ceremony for this year at the end of the month. So check these titles out. You know, get that maybe back into your system, seeing great movies. And, of course, check out the the 2021 Oscar films for Netflix. I know that's now something I think when I turned on Netflix the other day, it was right there on the front page. So, you know, they're making it very easy. Check those out. Check out our review episodes of them. Absolutely, because, you know, this is why you're here, guys. You want to hear the reviews. So I... We'll get to the reviews, guys. Right after this quick break, we will get to our review of Concrete Cowboy, currently the number one movie on Netflix. Just came out this weekend, and we're going to do it with Marvin Pittman when we come back. Stay tuned. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Cracking One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, Motown Philly back again. Uh, glad to have Marvin Pittman back on the show. Very busy man. Glad he can carve out the time for us uh, between his Blurred Vision series on Forces of Geek and his newly minted podcast, Black Daddies in Space. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah, glad to be here one more time. Let's talk some movies. Yeah, Concrete Cowboy. Uh, weirdly enough, I was like, oh, we should have you on, you know, to to let the people know about your new podcast and and really oh, thank you, thank you, and put that out there. But I was, it's also this movie is kind of uniquely you, like in a way, it's like a, a more personal connection than someone like me, of course, who is currently wearing a Mets jersey, uh, you know, <laughs> loathing uh, the word Philadelphia at times, uh, but. As we were talking, you know, off air, Philly is you, buddy, and and you yeah, have yeah, that's my hometown. Yeah, and you have kind of you know, you've seen this in action. You know of the Fletcher Street gang uh, that you know goes around uh, the Fletcher yeah, the Street Fletcher Cowboy. Street Riding Club, and and yeah, and you know all of the Black Cowboys. There are a few different stables down there, and I just remember reading about them in the paper, and sometimes seeing them on the street, and. One time I have this memory of this was back in 2004 and 
Bernard Hopkins, who's from North Philadelphia, he had just beaten Oscar De La Hoya for a title. Yeah. And normally there's some kind of parade or whatnot, and there wasn't some big like city sanctioned parade. So Bernard said, I'm going to throw my own parade. And so I was down there. I was working for the <laughs> Philly Tribune newspaper at the time. So I went to go cover the parade and and mainly just watch the parade and take some cool pictures. And it's Bernard in a Bentley, a, a convertible Bentley with the top down. He's got all of the belts hanging off him. Uh, Joe Frazier's <laughs> there with his kids and coming down the street, galloping down the street are the black cowboys in full regalia with the the hats on and they've got their their tank tops on and all this stuff. And I don't know if you've ever seen a lot of horses just like running down a city street, but when those... (laughs) Who isn't a police officer, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who's not a police officer and telling you to get back, which, you know, when there are horse cops, get out of there. That's the rule. (laughs) When you see horse cops, get out the way. But... Those horseshoes, when they hit the asphalt, they spark up. Yeah. And it's a really cool thing to see. And we got to see the the horse, the cowboys coming through and they were leading the way on that parade. And it was it was pretty dope. Pretty fun sight. Yeah. And, and that's why I think I was I was drawn to this story. And I think a lot of people will, you know, anytime seeing, you know, horses in this type of setting in a large city like this. It's so striking and it really catches the eye. Uh, and then when <laughs> Idris Elba's doing it, you really pay attention, especially with yes, some of say the. Say no more. Say no more. <laughs> yeah, with some of the stills that I saw going in, you know, the guy with, you know, half his shirt undone, just flexing out, being a, a an amazing cowboy. I mean, he fits the bill so perfectly, uh, like he was cut out of a mold, which is funny. He, because, you know, he's one of those guys, he's a secret Brit you know, or not so secret yes. Brit. And, and he talks so many stories. I heard stuff behind the scenes when this was at uh, the Toronto International Film Festival that they were just like, oh, I had to hang out with that crew because they had to tell me how to talk. Like, yeah, I had was... to figure out the Philly accent and yeah. not just the Philly accent, but the black Philly accent, which is yes. its own thing. Like a lot of the Philly accent that people know, whether you're watching SNL and Tina Fey's on there and, you know, people are talking about water and they're going out and they're yeah. going down shore. Right. And, you know, let me have a kook. Like that's a lot of like white Philly accent and black sure. Philly accent is slightly different. Like the tones, some of the tones are the same with like the O's and all that sort of thing. But you also have a lot of great migration that happened that brought in a bunch of people from the South. So that influenced a lot of things. Like I grew up saying y'all and <laughs> right. Like people think that y'all is just a thing that people say in in the South, but no, like like I didn't say y'all, but right. you know it would be like yo, look at y'all, look at y'all over there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know other parts of Philly they they would say like yous, you know, like oh look at yous, uh-huh. you know. But in in like the West Philly that I grew up in, like yeah, it was like look at y'all. Like a great representation of like black Philly accent at this point is the legendary Roots crew you sure. get to see every night on uh on jimmy fallon yeah, and man. somebody like uh like black thought like that is that to me is one of the quintessential black philly accents and you hear a lot of those voices in this movie and i was like yo those are real black philly accents right there not knowing that like oh those are just the people from the fletcher writing club who are just in this movie <laughs> 
Yeah, and I got to say, I didn't know who was what going in, and obviously maybe you pinpointed on some things that I wouldn't being a native, but I will say the couple that I knew were non-actors after the fact, like Paris, and uh, I wrote down the, yeah, uh, the other- uh, Yeah, they they were the ones that stood out to me, and I was like, oh, what else have they been in? And then when I found out they weren't actors, I was like, oh my goodness, that is amazing. And especially we're, we're in a year where Nomadland might win a bunch of awards, uh, including Best right. Picture, and they had a ton of non-actors being, you know, kind of- within these nomad groups that go around the country, um, we're, we're in like kind of a renaissance. We're in like a year where it's like just amazing real life people, not even in documentary form, you know, putting out really great performances. And I thought these two True. were very earnest and very good, uh, you know, and, and I guess they're more legit, man. They, <laughs> cause, uh, you know, or maybe they're used to this. Maybe there's been more, there's gotta be a lot of journalism on this group. That maybe they're more media savvy. Yeah, than I, I feel like imagine. there's a thing where, like, you know, real sports goes in there for every once in a while, and then you know the local papers will go through there once in a while, and now you've got national press that are going through there again, sure. and you know, and also talking about similar to what the film is doing now, they talk about the issues that they're facing with development and gentrification and all that sort of thing, and trying to keep the club alive after a hundred years. And, uh, you know, but watching the real people be in this movie, to me, it's one of those things that movies are really great at doing, which is when you're presenting a culture and a place that a lot of people haven't seen before, and you want to have that one character that's learning it so that you get to learn it along with them. Right. And you really get to see why are the people here for this? Why why are they hanging on to this? Yeah. And I tell you, just this, there's something, and this isn't just America, but but within American culture, just the iconography of cowboys, the yeah. iconography of just someone on horseback with that wide brim hat to keep out the sun and the rain, and seeing that against the backdrop of, of, of a twilight sky or coming up asphalt in the heat on the asphalt, just rising up as they're coming through it. We've seen it so many times in so many movies and you can see it in real life. And, and uh, you know, but to see it in this context was, it was still just as powerful, but it hit with a different punch because you saw it in a way that you haven't gotten to see it before. And that's in the middle of Philadelphia. Yeah. That's a great observation. Absolutely. You know, cause it, you need a fish out of water in this scenario to add to the element of, I, I love that they use the non-actors to make this more authentic, uh, you know, because this is, it's a fictionalization. Uh, it's based on a book, ghetto cowboy by Greg Neary. Um, right. you know, that talked about Fletcher street urban writing club and, and all of that writing culture, as you said, where there are multiple, uh, stables around there. And, you know, this is about for anyone who didn't catch it, it's doing very well on Netflix. It's currently the number one film and the number two on the on the Netflix top 10. So people are watching this over the weekend. You know, I'm sure <laughs> Idris Alba's got to be excited because, you know, coming, yes. off, coming off of Cats, this guy 
has like four movies he's going to drop in 2021, and this is the first of them, and he needs some hits to erase that memory. And, you know, he's got... Uh, I try to forget that he was in that, and I think a lot of people have tried to forget that anybody was in that, you know, other than I think Jason Derulo, who to me seemed very much <laughs> yeah. at home okay. in that movie, you know, but... Uh, yeah. You know, that's that's just me, but, but you know, Idris Elba... You throw him on horseback in a tank top with a cowboy hat. And I think people will show up uh, to see what's going on. And I thought it was really cool to see him do this movie. I know that this movie had some like personal things for him to do it, um, especially the the father son story. Yeah. And I thought one of the things that crossed my mind because method man is also in this movie. Yes, he is. And Cliffy. it's like, yo, this is the, <laughs> You know, th- this is the wire reunion. We've got Stringer and Cheese. Stringer yeah. and Cheese together again. Yep. You know, though this time, you know, Cheese isn't getting hemmed up about a dog, you know, <laughs> that, that they thought was an actual human, but no, it was an actual dog. Sure. And, and burning the whole wire like they did in season three. So <laughs> Exactly. And, and Method Man uh, is slowly becoming uh, a Netflix icon here if you watch vampires versus the bronx over october uh halloween season he, he's good in that too plays a priest uh you know he's slowly trying to up his game it's a it, you know he was on the deuce for hbo like he's yeah i watched him in that and yeah. he's been acting for a long time and it's been cool to see because often with a lot of the rappers that became actors coming out of the 90s like a lot of them tried to go very hard for that, like stardom, yep. that star turn yeah. and, you know, and being able to star in movies, whether it was like big Hollywood movies or like smaller budget movies, like belly and stuff like that. Yeah. But I was you have say, somebody who was the first one that came to mind. <laughs> yeah. DMX, who was like, again, who was on top of the world in like 2000, 2001. Like yep. it's tough to explain to people who weren't there just like how he was the hottest rapper in the world. He was hotter than Jay-Z yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you get to see somebody like Method Man, who I think has really taken to this idea of being a character actor and that he's a very good character actor. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm really it makes me happy to see a, a rapper of 50 plus who is just <laughs> out there just looking good, looking healthy, looking strong, doing all the work that he wants to do. And just going about his life and being awesome. Like, that's that's nice to see. I, I hope we get to see more people like that, you know. And, and not everybody has to be a star exactly. Yep. But that character actor space really works well for him from all the different projects that we've gotten to see him in for rolling on 20 years now. Yeah. And he's been playing uh, quite a few cops lately, too. I think he's coming for that iced tea money uh, back in the, in the later years of his career. Um, <laughs> But getting just back to Idris Alba too, uh, you'll you'll maybe have to come back later on in the year for when. Uh, have you heard of the Harder They Fall? We previewed this film. I can't wait for it. It's an all black cast western with Idris yes. Alba, Regina King. Oh, yeah, just come with it. Yeah, I, mean, I remember Posse from like the early nineties when when yep. uh, Melvin Van Peebles, Mario Van Peebles, did that, and that yep. was a lot of fun and. You know, like this movie talks about the, the the long history of cowboying being a black industry, 
And they don't get so much into like the Hispanic side of it, but that was also there. Sure. You know, that's where we get the word buckaroo from because the, the Spanish word for cowboy was vaquero, which got, you know, anglicized into buckaroo. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really interested to see Idris do another Western because, you know, he's got the square jaw. He's got the grit in the eye. He's got the, the fire and the determination. And then you're going to put, Regina King right alongside that, who just slays everything that she does. I mean, even watching her do SNL and she did it in this tornado of professionalism. Yeah. <laughs> just said, yeah, I can't, I can't go against that. And what, and Zazie Beats is also in that and Lakeith Stanfield and Delroy Lindo, the great Delroy Lindo. Yeah. Jonathan Majors, again. baby. Yeah. So we're getting a little bit of the five bloods reunion. That's right. In that movie as well. So, <laughs> You know, I, I say let's. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm I'm here for it. That that looks like that'll be a fun time. Yeah, it's and and back to this film real quick. I mean, you know, this is produced by Lee Daniels, who's a huge you know uh, producer. Uh, does you know Empire? Everybody knows him from or or the Butler or Precious. Um, and he just got back on the map with United States versus Billy Holiday uh, that came out for Hulu. Yeah. And, and, you know, so he produced this film as well alongside Idris Elba. Uh, it's co-written and directed by Ricky Staub. Like you said, we we mentioned a lot of the deep cast here. C- Caleb McLaughlin from Stranger Things and High Flying Bird. Uh, uh, Jarrell Jerome uh, I, I, as Smush, I thought was amazing. Uh, he, yeah. was, he was I, in When I They See I love the yeah. amount of, like, grit and sensitivity that they brought to, to those two roles of Cole and Schmush. And, yeah. you know, and it would have been really easy, I think, to have just played Smush as like just a straight up thug. And that's what they, they decided not to do that. And, you know, and, but also by the same token, it would have been really easy to just have him be like, oh no, he's just playing being a thug because he really has these great dreams and he's really been stacking all this money to do this and he's hustling and, and all that. And I thought that they found a way to play it straight where this wasn't the, see, we're doing this to defy your expectations. Sure. You know, (laughs) it's like, and I thought it was, it was pretty interesting. Even um, it made me think a lot about, um, one of the wild things I read about like the newsboy strike, which in, in influenced the, the newsies, right. uh, you know, movie and later the musical and how they would have like these like newsboy like movies that were, that had very similar plot to Smush's part in this of like, yes, I'm out here on the streets and I'm doing all this seedy stuff, but my dream is to go out West and I'm going to get yeah. a ranch and yep. I'm going to have horses out there. And one of the really fun things about about Concrete Cowboy is just being able to think about all of the links of history mm-hmm. that have brought you to where these folks are sitting in 21st century Philadelphia, talking about a tradition that goes back hundreds of years. Right. And that like all these things are right there, right up against each other. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a relatively simple plot, although you say like, you know, I, I know I saw interviews with uh, Caleb McLaughlin saying like, this isn't a traditional hood movie. This isn't like this right. standard, you know, abandoned daddy thing. You know, it, I think it gives it just enough of a unique twist um, and, and the trying to get out and, and 
a lot of these things, like you said, fish out of water stuff and this community, there's a lot of uniqueness to this to make it worth uh, turning on instead of feeling like you're just watching just another, you know, inner city movie, you know, like this. I, I don't I didn't feel that way watching it. And I'm glad that he felt that way, even on the page before it even happened. For anyone who yeah. uh, doesn't know, because uh, we're kind of talking around it, the film is about a teenager who discovers the world of urban horseback riding when he moves in with his estranged father, played by Idris Elba in North Philadelphia. Um, yeah, th- I think this movie um, will kind of, you know, try to be as uh, non-spoilery as we can, but, you know, it's basically a film that, it's about second chances as well, like this intimate father-son story as well as, yeah. you know. And about uh, finding yourself and absolutely. finding a purpose and, and trying to, build something for yourself. I mean, to me, the the best scene of the movie is where you have the first like serious exchange between uh, Idris Elba's character Harp yeah. and, uh, and, and, and Cole and where you find out why Cole is named Cole. Yeah. And, you know, and, and going through that and I, I don't want to spoil it, but you know, it just made me think about, growing up in Philadelphia and growing up with my father and that for my father, John Coltrane, the Titan of jazz who made his bones in Philadelphia, grew up in Philadelphia, the, his childhood home, not very far from where my father grew up in North Philadelphia. And that my father always said that John Coltrane was proof of God on earth. Mm. And the way that, that this film uses the inspiration of John Coltrane in a way that, that I think not just black Americans, but black Philadelphians in particular, the way that he is revered there, the way that I grew up with him being revered, it just cut to the heart of me <laughs> in, in yeah. a very serious way. It is it's especially because, you know, my, my father passed on a few years ago and it was just, it was really special to see. I, I feel like this movie in a lot of ways, it's very specific about what it's doing while, while pulling on a lot of like story traditions that are familiar, but it's, it's very specific in, in what it's doing. And to me, that's when movies work best. Be, be as specific as you can, because when you do that, the emotions are going to be stronger. They're going to ring truer. And when everything is emotionally true, that's what makes something universal. Yeah, for sure. And, and this movie could have gone a lot of different ways, right? I mean, this you know, with these type of characters, you could have easily made this, you know, more hollow, more cartoonish, you know, uh, more, you know, stereotypical. There could have been yeah. so many could ways. Could have been this whole thing about keeping off the streets and, and sure. all that sort of stuff. And and some of that is in there, but it's just in it's just like it's painted into the movie. Yeah, it's like, hey, this is just a part of our lives. Yeah, it's more grounded and realistic, and and even the things you were bringing up about that that Coltrane scene, um, you know, it makes this movie a little deeper than I thought it would be too. Which you know, it was it was surprising, especially for a first time director and co writing this, and you know, I I I was impressed. On a level yeah, for a white uh, man directing this, you know, like, yeah, sure, <laughs> you know, like, you know, which, which when Lee Daniels came on, like that was one of his apprehensions even at, yeah. at the start, you know, with, with Ricky Staub directing it. But, you know, what, 
what Ricky, I think, was able to show was was you know that he was coming at this from a real bona fide place and had built a lot of of equity in the community. And I know his production company hires a lot of uh, a lot of ex offenders and, and you know people who had been incarcerated mm-hmm. and and then you know that he couldn't have made this movie without the imprimatur of the Fletcher Urban Writing Club and, and sure. having them be involved in it. Like you can't do that without them trusting you like right. to me like you, you just can't do it i mean sure at the end of this is more awareness for them and 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 so we hope more help for for them to keep the club going and to be able to have property and and all that sort of thing but but ultimately they had to trust that this man would put them forth in a way where they would it would be accurate and true and human and and you know so so there's there's also that yeah. And and you're a person uh, who is, you know, neck deep in diversity, equity, inclusion stuff and and obviously a person who lived in Philadelphia. The thing that struck me about this movie was why if this, you know, is painted very well as this stabilizing force in the black community, especially in that area of Philadelphia. Why do we constantly see these examples of like police or government taking away things that would actually make their jobs easier by not adding more bodies to the street life uh, of that community know, right? in that area? It's... Like, I don't understand why th- these things happen. Uh, do yeah. You... <laughs> it's just that, that disinvestment in communities. Right. And, right. you know, like, like I didn't grow up with, the black cowboys because it's very much a neighborhood thing as, as you know, which is what you see in the movie. Like I grew up in West Philly and I would go to North Philly sometimes because my father was from there. So, you know, every once in a while we would go see family up that way you right. know, and people that were, you know, close to the family, but otherwise that wasn't really where we hung out. And Philly is, it's a pretty large city. It's like, I think it's still like the sixth largest city in the country. Yeah. So it's very much a place where like, you know, the blocks in your neighborhood and then, you know, downtown and then nothing else, you know, unless you've got people over there to go see. Yeah. And you know, like I, I never went to South Philly for real until I was like 24 (laughs) because I didn't know anybody down there. Why would I know anybody down there? You know, but then, you know, then I did, but, um, but yeah, you think of just the the lack of investment in communities and the way that segregation just uh, just concentrates poverty and concentrates people without work and without jobs and like and I remember growing up in West Philly in the middle of the of like the crack epidemic, right? Like there's like crack house down the street from me, mm. and you know you could see just that money wasn't being put there and people who had some amount of means and, and, you know, or at least like had like a worthwhile job that paid a decent wage, you know, like you were seeing fewer and fewer of those folks there because if they had a chance to leave, they would. Right. And that creates this cycle as work disappears, then all of those like socializing factors that you have of even something as simple as if everybody's employed, then everybody has somewhere to be during the day. Therefore no one has time to be on a corner somewhere. Right. Yeah. You know, or think about how so many of us, we get started in our careers through jobs that we heard about because someone we knew had that job. Yeah. And the way we got in was because we knew someone 
who had that job or that person knew someone sure. who had that job and they got you in. And so when you start to lose that out of places, then the society starts to, you know, it starts to break apart in a lot of ways. Of course. And, you know, and, and it's, and it's, and it's really sad and I've seen it happen. You know, I've seen it in, in my city where like you have like your good blocks and you have your bad blocks mm-hmm. and you have like your good parts of town and your bad parts of town or, you know, or even uh, places where if, if there's a one black family that moves into a white neighborhood, then maybe that will be okay. But then if there's two and if there's three, then all the white people leave and they go to some other other neighborhood or they go to some other part of the greater Philadelphia area, whether that's like South Jersey or going out to the mainline suburbs or Delaware County or anywhere, you know, a whole bunch of other places. But, you know, it's like, like you said, you think of something like this, which is clearly a steadying hand in the lives of, of these folks yeah, and in, in what they're about and, even them talking about teaching kids in the neighborhood to care for the horses. And you see, you see the light of purpose just be like sparked in folks. Right. Yeah. And that the care for an animal, it requires empathy and it requires dedication. It requires, you know, a certain amount of command, but also respect right. at the same time. And, you know, you think of, of the scene where Cole's horse that harp bought for him Mm. finally becomes his horse. Yeah. And it's an amazing scene. Yeah. It's an amazing scene where all of the work that Cole had to put into this horse comes together because now this horse has to respect him and he has to make it so. Right. But he's only able to make it so because of everything that he had done leading up to that. Right. And yeah, you think of things like this, or there's a nonprofit program in Philly called called Work to Ride, mm. where uh, where they bring uh, kids up and they learn to care for horses and they learn to in in you know they learn to ride and they go into equestrian competitions and they do like water polo and all that sort of stuff and it's you know and it's one of those real like you know take the kids out of the hood and it's a real like inspirational story in that way I guess sure but you know but but for real like. I always think about the kids themselves and it's really just about you've created an outlet and you've created a purpose for people. And that's what everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for purpose. Everybody's looking for a reason to get up and do the things that they do. And in this movie, it's the Cowboys, it's, it's Cole, it's, Nessie played by the great Lorraine Toussaint, Love which, her. yo, yeah. if Lorraine Toussaint is somewhere, then I want to be at that place. <laughs> yeah. Like I think about, you know, she's on the equalizer now with Queen Latifah. And yeah, she, plays, that, yeah. she plays the aunt and, you know, and funny enough that she's Aunt Viv, you know, going back to the Fresh <laughs> Prince of Bel-Air, right? Sure. Yeah. But like, how much better is that show? Because she's there and it's like, yo, if she's there with that, voice that just drips wisdom yeah like then i want to be there too but you you think about just the the lack of investment and the lack of opportunity and how so much of the interaction that's going to happen is about the state coming in and stepping on these people yeah and we see that in this movie as well so you know it's it's a really tough thing but it, it's that to me it's just that cumulative effect of just 
decades and decades of disinvestment and you know and even uh one of the campfire scenes that they have in the movie which again cowboy stuff yeah. they're around a campfire telling stories uh-huh. and they talk about the history of black cowboys in philadelphia and what the what the big heyday was and what and how it came to an end yeah and you know they, they so it's it's all about that disinvestment and that it happens on purpose and it also happens systemically through programs and the movement of wealth that creates situations for these bad things to happen. For sure. I, this movie did have more layers and storylines than I had anticipated or uh, going in, and I was pleasantly surprised. The only thing I would say, and I don't know how you feel about uh, him in particular, I like Caleb McLaughlin as an actor, but... I don't know, given how this movie starts, do you buy him as a person who is, like, fighting his way out of Detroit to get to Philadelphia? I mean, like, you know, basically getting expelled out of schools and being kind of a hard ass. Like, he immediately get in there and and buckles, (laughs) you know, so quickly. Yeah, I think, like, one of the interesting (laughs) things with that character is that, to me, Cole isn't really... And I'm trying to like find like the really like proper word. Like this is a loaded word, right? But sure. a thug. Like right. he's not really, he's in a really bad place. Sure. That is like for whatever reason, and we don't get, you know, any of that backstory of what his life has been like from really like beyond the broad sketches of that he was in Philadelphia for a time. Yeah. With his mother and father and some sort of presence of his father being there, then things changed for whatever reason. We know that, you know, and they talk about a little bit about some legal trouble that Harp was in. Yes. But, but for whatever reason, the mother then ups and leaves to Detroit. And so there's like this displacement that's happening. And whether part of this is not having the father in his life Right. As like and feeling like he's got like a complete family, whatever you want to call that. Right. You know, like whether that's whether that's like accurate or not, that is a thing that happens with people. Sure. Like we've seen it happen with people. Um, but it was like he was missing something. And that for Cole, I felt like, you know, you look at at, at the actor, um, Caleb McLaughlin, mm. and he's a really sweet sweet looking kid like yes. and and like and he's got like this like really sweet and expressive face and everything and i could tell you a lot of a lot of thugs on a lot of corners they were him sure at some point there at some point there was a turning point where they became what you see yeah on the news and all that sort of thing but there was there was a point where it can turn this way or the other way for sure. And and it seemed like with with the way that they were portraying this, that it was like the fighting was some kind of control mm-hmm. that he was able to exert in a life where he didn't feel like, you know, where maybe he, he isn't having a whole lot of control. Right. You know, and but then and you know, and and I can think about this with a whole bunch of people who were like 13, 14 years old mm. and they're like, yeah, I'm big and bad and I can do whatever I want and right. all that sort of stuff. Go and take them out of the three block radius that they know is their world. 
world. Oh, yeah. You see what happens. Yeah, it crumbles. Yeah. And, and so his mother doesn't even tell him what she's doing. They're in the car yeah, on the cold. way. <laughs> it's cold. And, you know, it's cold, but you also see, and I think the the, the actress that plays the mother does, does a phenomenal job in not a lot of screen time no. of showing that, like, how she had to harden her heart in that moment. Yes. Because of how desperate everything was. Yeah. Um, and that this was so hard for her to do, to leave her child behind, you know, in the arms of the father that she has not had a lot of connection with um, over, over the last few years. That's, that's the feeling that you get in watching this. Right. Right. And that like, it felt like, okay, like you haven't had to do a lot for him, but now I'm calling in everything. Yeah. Like, and that like, basically like, this is the last resort. Like you have to save him. Yeah. You know, like that's basically what she puts on harp. And, and at first like harp, it seems like he doesn't know what to do with it, but he has like one way to do it. And that's the horses. Yeah. And it takes Cole, like understanding that and meeting harp at his level, but harp also meeting Cole at his to get to there. And, uh, but yeah, like he, he's very much that at that crossroads where it's going to go one way or the other way. And that sweet young boy could turn into, you know, a, a hardened man who makes a lot of tough decisions. Yeah. And, you know, and it, and it was, it was, so I think in that way, that's where casting him works. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, some people could come into this and be like, well, a lot of these things in the relationship, the father son stuff comes about a little easy, but you also have to understand that, you know, Harp's character kind of made a life of being kind of a paternal character to a lot of people in the community. So to have kind of these quick, you know, kind of dynamics that he can set up in that house to be like, oh, you don't want to be here? Door locks at a certain time. You know, if you're not here, I'm not letting you in. Basics, just you don't want to be here, don't be here. If you're here, this is what we do. And just laid a very basic structure and sometimes mm-hmm. that's all you need. And, and and with a with a community like that, especially backed up by someone like Nessie and someone like uh, uh, Paris, if you're not in his main scene, if you're not like emotional, then I don't know you as a human being. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his- and, and this goes back to like. What what we were saying before about like it would have been so easy to just turn all these into stereotypes. Yes, and you know, and when you when you see his character and everything that he lays out about that character, like it would have been so easy for this to be a stereotype. But it's the performance. Yes, that says no. This is a real person. Yeah, this this is a real person, and these things. And remember, some stereotypes become stereotypes because of actual reasons that actual people have lived these lives. Yeah. And, and he was able to bring to that a certain amount, a real certain amount of reality that it felt very real. And this is before I found out that like, no, this is one of the real dudes. Yeah. (laughs) Like this was one of, one of the actual dudes who was there. And, you know, it, it just, it just made it all true. It's all about that emotional reality that emotional truth and they played that so well it's it's a tight line to walk and and men men do they nail it 
Yeah, and definitely worth hanging around to the end into the credits scene where you get to talk to some of these people and get to kind of get the laydown of what it's like uh, for them right now. So definitely a movie worth watching. I think we're both kind of echoing a lot of sentiments with that there. A very impressive debut for uh, Staub there. And, and, you know, a lot of people impressed me. Some people maybe I was less familiar with or, like we said, even, you know, with Elba or Toussaint or any of these old standbys. Um, just knocked out of the park like they usually do. Very impressive and looking forward to what they have coming up next. Um, thank you so much for being here, man. This We, we, we covered this uh, very well, and I appreciate your thoroughness, man. I knew that you would bring the heat uh, having <laughs> more of a personal connection and the fact that you are indeed part stallion yourself. So always. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, and, uh, and one more, one more thing. Uh, yeah. So, Cole is brought down there from Detroit and Detroit is one of those places that is known throughout America as like being one of the toughest cities in the world. Right. Yes. Like, and it's just one of the toughest places to be like, this is the home of RoboCop. Okay. And my dad would tell this story about like how he would like meet people from other parts of the country. And he'd tell them he was from Philadelphia and they would be like, yo, that's a tough city. And one time he met a dude from Detroit (laughs) and the dude from Detroit, from Detroit, was like, yo, Philly, that's a tough city. So <laughs> that's all you need to know. That's what I was thinking of when Cole was being trekked down there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to break so easily is amazing. And that shows the power of Philly altogether, man. <laughs> Thanks again for doing this. Tell the people where they can listen to your stuff. And if you have any uh, articles uh, or more with your Blurred Vision stuff coming up, uh, tell the people where they can find it. Oh yeah, so I'm I'm writing a bunch of stuff on Forces of Geek uh, at forcesofgeek.com, and uh, I just dropped a new uh, column for Blurred Vision, uh, just catching up with everybody with the spring, and really talking about just getting through the pandemic winter, and that mm. frankly it was pretty tough for me. Yeah. Um, but also looking forward to the new television that's been coming out, and just seeing who's tackling COVID and how and who's not and whether that's okay or not yeah um you know so so you can catch that stuff there plus i'm also writing a lot of comic book reviews and that's been a lot of fun um especially uh doing the run of the latest batman black and white series and uh john ridley's uh, other history of the dc universe which is oh boy if you want to talk about some some essays Mm. uh, around uh how how you handle these like diverse characters in this world like that he's delivering a masterclass right now on that. And then also there's the podcast, which is still brand spanking new. We're, we're three episodes into it or, you know, and uh, that's black daddies in space. And uh, that's, you can find that at 24, seven films.tv or through uh, Harlem uh, film house. And uh, you can also find, that's where you can find the, uh, the video version of it, but you can also find the audio on Spotify on uh, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, through the Madman Radio Network. So Black Daddies in Space and Forces of Geek, that's where you can find me. Tremendous stuff, man. And I'll, I'll definitely have to tune in to see where you guys land with the early stuff with Falcon and Winter Soldier. I think uh, you guys have put uh, a pretty great in-depth spin on that for sure. Uh, considering all the, uh, the history stuff that we just talked about, 
and now they're bringing that into the MCU. It's pretty pretty amazing. Uh, between yeah, them. I really think so. They they they're at, they're really trying. Like that's yes, that's the really wild part. And you know, to me, there are a couple of ways that you go with superheroes. And on one side, you've got the like, hey, these are gods who walk among us. And on the other side, it's you know, no, these are these are people with a lot of real problems. And yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't think that I was prepared for a TV show where I'd see a superhero be denied a bank loan, but. <laughs> yeah. but we, we saw it happen and uh, you know, and it wasn't anchorman. It wasn't the beginning of the anchorman anchorman talking about Aquaman being denied a bank loan. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're looking forward to uh, talking about uh, Godzilla versus Kong next. So we're, we're really going to get into it. Awesome, man. Always bringing the good stuff, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.